Today we are joined by Nikosi Mandela, Tribal Chief of the Maveso Traditional Council, Member of Parliament of the South African National Assembly, and the grandson of the anti-apartheid revolutionary and former President of South Africa, Nelson Mandela. Greetings from people of South Africa to our brave brothers and sisters in Palestine who continue to inspire us on a daily basis. The Royal House of Mandela is committed to upholding the legacy of my grandfather, His Excellency President Nelson Folisha Shamandel. There is no cause more worthy of our support than that of the Palestinian struggle. We regard the Palestinian struggle as the greatest moral issue of our time. Your struggle is our struggle because President Mandel said that, I quote, our freedom is incomplete without the freedom of the Palestinian people. Hello and welcome to episode 15 of the Palestine Pod, the weekly podcast where we break down the latest headlines dealing with Palestine from all over the world and bring you stories, commentary, and interviews with the aim of spreading awareness about the Palestinian struggle for justice and equal rights. I'm one of your hosts, Lara E. You might know me from Instagram as at Girl, and I'm joined by my co-host, Mikey B. What's up, y'all? Mikey B on TikTok, Michael Scherzer on Instagram, and Mikey Intifada, if you've been logging on to Twitter to use the LGBT community as human shields. Before we get into today's episode, please like, comment, and subscribe if you hang out with us on YouTube. And if you're listening on a podcast app, subscribe and leave a review if you can. As always, you'll find our full episodes and all of our sources listed at palestinepod.com. And if you want to get involved in the conversation, feel free to reach out to us at palestinepod at gmail.com and follow us on Instagram at the Palestine Pod. I am personally so excited for today's episode, which I know will be very enlightening and thought-provoking for our audience. Today, we are joined by Nicole. Kosi Mandela, Tribal Chief of the Maveso Traditional Council, Member of Parliament of the South African National Assembly since 2009, and the grandson of the anti-apartheid revolutionary and former President of South Africa, Nelson Mandela. Chief Mandela, welcome to the Palestine Pod. Thank you, uh, Lara and Michael. Uh, Good afternoon uh, to the viewers and all those that have joined us in solidarity of Palestine. I would like to start by just handing the floor over to you. Thank you, Lara. And greetings from people of South Africa to our brave brothers and sisters in Palestine who continue to inspire us on a daily basis uh, to be out in the street and to be their voice in every corners of our countries and our regions and our continents to ensure that uh, the voice of the voiceless in Palestine is heard. The Royal House of Mandela is committed to upholding the legacy of my grandfather, His Excellency President Nelson Folisha Mandela, and to championing the causes that he supported. There is no cause more worthy of our support than that of the Palestinian struggle, because we regard the Palestinian struggle as the greatest moral issue of our time. Your struggle is our struggle because President Mandel said that, I quote, our freedom is incomplete without the freedom of the Palestinian people, close quote. We are with you in this struggle against apartheid Israel and we will not relent in mobilizing all freedom-loving people of the world in support of the Palestinian struggle until Palestine is free. During my visit 
to occupied Palestine in November 2017, I experienced firsthand what Palestinians have to go through every day at the hands of the racist Zionist state and its brutal apartheid apparatus. My view is that apartheid brutality practiced by apartheid Israel is the worst than anything we experienced as South Africans. They have taken the worst apartheid practices of South Africa and have taken it to another level. This is not only my view, but also the view of other South African leaders who visited occupied Palestine, like Archbishop Desmond Tutu and the former minister, Ronnie Carceres. Apartheid has been declared a crime against humanity. 1998 Rome Statute of the International Criminal Court lists apartheid as one of 11 distinct crimes against humanity, defining it as inhumane acts committed in the context of an institutionalized regime of systematic oppression and domination by one racial group over any other group or groups. By this definition alone, Israel is an apartheid state and it has perpetrated inhumane acts against Palestinian people, Muslims, Christians, and even Jews for more than seven decades. Like apartheid South Africa, Israel has institutionalized its racist policies by passing laws that are blatantly racist and discriminatory to this end. There are more than 50 articles of legislation that violate the rights of the Palestinian people in every aspect of life under the occupation by apartheid Israel. Apartheid South Africa was the culmination of more than three centuries of occupation. And this is the primary characterization of apartheid Israel. It is nothing less than an illegal occupation of Palestinian lands perpetuated under the myth of a land without a people for a people without a land. In South Africa, they passed the South African Native Land Act of 1913 that rendered the majority of our people as foreigners in the land of their birth and aliens in the lands of their forefathers. I believe that Palestinians too experience the same kind of alienation under the racist Zionist state. One only has to look at the shrinking map of historic Palestine to understand the agenda. The apartheid South Africa regime uprooted the majority of our people and forced 87% of the population onto 13% of land, alienating our people from their homes, their farms, their crops, and even their livestock. The skewed ownership patterns of land in South Africa is still one of the major issues that we are fighting in order to restore to people what is duly 
their property. This is exactly what apartheid Israel is doing to the Palestinian people and the struggle of the families of Sheikh Jarrah and Silwan is what we have ourselves experienced. The apartheid regime in South Africa passed the notorious Group Areas Act, which removed people from their homes in areas like Sophia Town, Fetus, and District 6. It not only bulldozed people's homes and uprooted communities, it also prohibited non-whites from staying in those areas. This is the same ethnic cleansing practiced by apartheid Israel, which you are all familiar with. The apartheid South African regime was brutal and carried out extrajudicial killings, assassinations, and indiscriminately bombed neighboring states and destabilized the frontline states for supporting the liberation struggle very much the same way that apartheid Israel is doing today. Like its sister apartheid state, South Africa, apartheid Israel has seized resources, land, water, and monopolized the economy to strangle the Palestinian economy and destroy its viability. The fight for the liberation of Palestine must also learn from our own struggle against apartheid South Africa by strengthening internal unity, global solidarity of the international anti-apartheid movement and the greatest weapon of the Palestinian struggle in our time is probably the boycott, divestment and sanctions movement. We must do more to strengthen this dimension of our struggle for Palestine. One of the most significant sites of struggle against apartheid Israel is the support it receives from Western colonial powers, the USA and the United Kingdom. The latter is responsible for creating the original land grab of Palestine and the USA is the lifeline of apartheid Israel and its greatest ally. The racist apartheid South Africa regime was likewise propped up by the imperialist powers, but we have a date with destiny. Already the American public is waking up to the genocide, ethnic cleansing, and crimes against humanity that their tax dollars are paying for. We must and will continue to fight this war against apartheid Israel on all fronts until Palestine is free. I thank you. Wow. Nkosi Mandela woke up and chose facts today, y'all. <laughs>
Thank you so much for that glorious introduction. Uh, you have touched on so many of the parallels that exist between the Israeli apartheid regime and apartheid South Africa. Everything from using the law to carry out ethnic cleansing to the shrinking spaces that Palestinians are allowed to inhabit on their own land. We even refer to these enclaves in the occupied West Bank as Bantustan. So we know very well experience that was also lived by our brothers and sisters in South Africa. And this, of course, was after the initial major land grab, which took place in 1948 with the Nekba, when 78% of historic Palestine was taken from us for the establishment of the apartheid state. You also touched on the importance of BDS and how the imperial powers propped up both apartheid South Africa and apartheid Israel. These are all themes that I would love to explore with you in more detail. So maybe just to start, I know that you cited to Nelson Mandela's infamous quote that he famously declared on December 4th, 1997, where he said that we know all too well that our freedom is incomplete without the freedom of the Palestinians. And this is a quote which has personally inspired and continues to inspire me throughout all of my activism work. History has confirmed for those who were not sure that Nelson Mandela was undeniably a freedom fighter on the side of truth and justice, although the mainstream narrative did not always paint him in this light. He was, after all, imprisoned by the apartheid regime for almost 30 years. But that's why it's so key for me as a Palestinian to rely on his solidarity. It lifts us and our movement up. Maybe to start, can you speak about the deep bonds between Palestinian liberation activists and South African anti-apartheid activists, going back to your grandfather's generation, and Give us your views on why anti-apartheid South Africans care so much about Palestinians. Lara, I think uh, first we need to speak to the manner uh, President Mandela has always been uh, depicted in the public space as a peacemaker and uh, a man of peace. And then an entire life uh, that he led of our struggle for liberation is automatically erased by that notion. Madiba was a revolutionary at heart. He was an activist. He was the first volunteer-in-chief during the defiance campaign in the early 50s when they rejected the unjust laws of the apartheid regime in South Africa. So he led by example. He never wanted to sacrifice his own people, if not sacrificing himself first. So we, we want to uh, always uh, correct that uh, uh, depiction of the man. If you are speaking about President Mandela, then you must be able to speak holistically about the man, his early life, his early years in the struggle for liberation, his contribution. And we always speak about his visit to 16 countries in Africa pre his incarceration. He went uh, uh, right around uh, the continent mobilizing for our struggle uh, for liberation. But again, uh, he's always been outspoken, not only about the role of uh, his uh, brother-in-arms and comrade, President Yasser Arafat, but has also spoken at length about the role President uh, Muammar Gaddafi or Colonel Muammar Gaddafi, as well as President Fidel Castro. He is often said to us and publicly spoken to this, that these countries, that being Palestine, Libya, and Cuba, not only supported us in words, but they supported us in resources and effectively uh, supported us right to the heat 
in our fight against a brutal oppressive regime, that being the apartheid regime of South Africa. And therefore, them as political prisoners uh, incarcerated for life on Robben Island drew immense inspiration from the Palestinian people, uh, from Comrade President Yasser Arafat. And they knew then that they would realize their freedom in their lifetime because of the support that the Palestinians were giving to us. And I often tell Palestinian people that today I've been able to receive my grandfather home as a free man, to spend 23 years with him as a free man. And that is all thanks to Palestinian people as well as uh, the global community who was behind the anti-apartheid movement. And so we know very well what he meant when he said that our freedom is incomplete without the freedom of Palestinian people because that is rooted in the role that the Palestinian people played in our very own struggle for liberation. We are free today as South Africans because of your role and your sacrifices that you put for us to enjoy these freedoms. And this is why we unreservedly and unshamedly speak out and say that even though President Mandela is no longer with us, he's extended that baton to the next generation of young people and young leaders to voice out on a daily basis in our streets to speak on behalf of the Palestinians and fight this brutal apartheid regime of the Zionist state of Israel. And we'll continue to doing so uh, because for us, we will not rest until we see a free Palestine. Yes, you yourself are a living example of the deep solidarity shown by South Africans towards Palestinians. You wrote an article for Middle East Eye titled, My Grandfather, President Mandela, Helped End Apartheid. Let's do the same for Palestine, where you said, quote, in the same way that you responded to our call for a global anti-apartheid movement and boycotts, I call on people, organizations and social movements in the UK and throughout Europe who oppose racism and support freedom to rally together to help end Israel's apartheid as apartheid in South Africa was abolished. Failure to take action is tantamount to complicity in maintaining Israel's regime of oppression over the Palestinian people. No question there. I just wanted to put that on the record. Thank you, Michael. I would like to just comment on something that you just said in Kosi. It's not only that there's solidarity between Palestine and uh, anti-apartheid South Africans, but Israel has also made it very clear where it stands. And it stood with apartheid South Africa. We know when we've spoken before on this podcast how Israel armed and funded apartheid South Africa and how even certain white South African settlers have moved from South Africa to Israel to enjoy the benefits of the apartheid system. There is an entire village, basically, of white South African immigrants. They are occupying Susia. They immigrated to Palestine after converting to Judaism. They were part of a church 
in South Africa. And once it was no longer tenable to live a supremacist lifestyle, all of a sudden they're Jewish and living in Palestine. One of them said in a documentary, quote, I hope there will be war. And that was the son of a preacher. His farm is leased from the Israeli government. He imports sheep from South Africa. We have always been clear of the role of apartheid Israel during our own struggle for liberation. We firmly believe that South Africa was their testing ground. This is where they wanted to ensure that their practices today are tested in apartheid South Africa. And they were very much behind the brutal apartheid regime of South Africa. Uh, and in our own uh, fight uh, for uh, our liberation, it was very clear to isolate the Zionists from the Jewish community in South Africa and Judaism. And this is why we enjoyed the support of the likes of uh, Ronnie Kraslis and uh, Ruth First and many more uh, Jewish uh, leaders that were behind the struggle for liberation in South Africa. And we often remind uh, South African Jews today, as you stood side by side with us in our struggle for liberation, it is your duty today, if you uphold President Mandela to high esteem and recognize him as a global icon, do continue the fight to realize a free Palestine because he regarded the Palestinian issue to be the gross moral issue of our time, and yet the world is silent on the matter. We will continue to speak out to South Africans that leaves our beloved country, goes to apartheid Israel, picks up arms in the IDF, and continues to meet out a, a brutality and atrocities against innocent women and children, in particular in Palestine. And we have made a call to our government here in South Africa that those that we have been able to identify who have left our shores to go and participate in this genocide and ethnic cleansing must be held accountable in our country. We want them arrested, we want them trialed, we want them to be brought before our very own courts. And we will continue to mobilize the Jewish community in particular here in South Africa to identify those people that have left our country and are actively participating in these uh, uh, atrocities and brutality that is meted out against Palestinian people. That's incredible. Uh, the, the attempt, the clear attempt made to hold settlers accountable and to, to, to hold somebody accountable for the crime of ethnic cleansing. Do you know by any chance if anyone has thus far been held accountable under these attempts that are being made by the government? The challenges that we continue to experience, uh, Lara, is that uh, 
because of carrying dual passports, these South African Jews that are lending themselves to the assistance of the Zionist regime in apartheid Israel, living on a South African passport and entering on a apartheid Israel passport on the other side. And then it is becoming difficult to identify what their role has been. So they would live on a tourism purposes or business purposes or even educational purposes to learn more about farming in the kibbutz. But that is in a disguise in the work that they eventually lend themselves to when they are there. So we are beginning to work jointly with Palestinian groups to identify those South Africans. And I'm happy that uh, Michael says there is actually a village that we need to zoom into and start identifying who are these South Africans that are in these villages and what their role is in this fight uh, for a free Palestine. And if uh, they are found wanting, we need to begin naming and shaming them and having our government uh, uh, holding them to account. So it will be uh, useful for us as South Africans, together with our brothers and sisters in Palestine, to identify who are these South Africans and we then are able to put their names before our uh, authorities here in South Africa so that they could be able to be held accountable. A lot of them are posting on social media, so don't trip. The internet will help you out. (laughs) That will be good. Uh, We have uh, very uh, young activists uh, here in South Africa, in uh, the Africa for Palestine, as well as in the BDS uh, coalition uh, and there are uh, also other entities uh, who lend themselves to the Palestinian solidarity uh, uh, campaign. And the young people are always visible. They are always looking into what is in the media. And this is why when I saw uh, the pod uh, from yourself and Lara, I was able to immediately share it because for us is to saying, We need to educate our people in realizing what is the distorted messages. You know, often here in South Africa, you'll find that uh, this is equated to a religious conflict. And we're saying it's not a religious conflict. It's a humanity crisis. And we cannot be silent when innocent children are being killed. Women are being brutalized and uh, uh, places of worship that we've seen like Alaksa being uh, totally disregarded and uh, tear gas and stun grenades thrown into, then we as a people who have experienced that brutality cannot be silent. And this is why we continue to speak out. And we hope that young people in particular will be observant, will be in tune with the current uh, social media alerts so that we are able to pick up these people that are violating the rights of uh, Palestinians. I want to thank you very much for sharing that clip from the Palestine pod. It really brought tears to my eyes to saw that you shared that. I, I was so honored. So 
it meant so much to us and it's just a further testament of your commitment, your family's commitment and black South Africans' commitment to justice in Palestine. I want to turn to the parallels between Israeli apartheid and South African apartheid. Now, this is a subject that you have written extensively upon. You've spoken about it extensively and many of your introductory remarks actually pointed us towards some of these parallels. But I think it's a really key point for our audience to understand that when we're speaking about Israeli apartheid, this is not an exaggeration nor hyperbole. We have heard American uh, politicians tell us to tone down the rhetoric. We have, we have heard um, people say, well, is it really apartheid? Are you exaggerating? Are you, are you making a big deal out of something? Yeah, maybe there's some injustice, but is it apartheid? And so I think it's important uh, for us to, to really take a moment to say, no, this is actually an objective assessment of the situation on the ground. When you simply look at the rights that people are granted and deprived of by the state of Israel, according to the category of people that Israel has placed them into. And after you engage in this objective analysis of simply just looking at who has what rights, you can only conclude that Israel is guilty of apartheid. I mean, this is exactly what Beit Salem concluded when they found that there was a regime of Jewish supremacy from the river to the sea. This is exactly what the Human Rights Watch report concluded when it found that Israel was guilty of apartheid and persecution. This is actually the lived reality of millions of Palestinians today who remain on the land of Palestine, much less those who were expelled and prevented from returning like my own family. The reality is, is that there is a tiered system of rights where the scope of rights available to you is dependent on your membership in a certain group of people. And Palestinians who are the people of the land, who were on the land long before the state of Israel established itself on the majority of historic Palestine as a state for newly arrived Jewish immigrants, those Palestinians, they have the least rights. You know, simple things like movement on their own land is restricted to them. They can't travel or move or seek medical care without applying for a permit from Israel, permits which are regularly denied. When my sister and my brother-in-law got married in the U.S., it was entirely out of the question that any of my brother-in-law's family from Gaza, including his parents, his siblings, his nieces and nephews, travel from Gaza to the U.S. for the wedding. It was not even part of the question. Um, simply because they would have needed a permit from Israel to travel out of Gaza, and those permits are generally not ground, granted, much less because you want to travel for a wedding. I mean, can you imagine? I mean, you know, usually permits for, for medical care are not granted. So Israel's not going to make an exception in case of people wanting to go celebrate. Those Palestinians in Gaza are simply caged. And so with this background in mind, you know, you, you've said it, you've written about it, and you've said it again today that Israel's apartheid regime is even worse than the South African example. So can you elaborate on this? Thank you, Laura, for, for raising that. And I think uh, from the Onset, uh, we have to be clear that uh, this is secular colonialism. The native and indigenous people of Palestine are the ones that are not being afforded any equal rights whatsoever. And foreigners that have applied for settlements in occupied Palestine are giving unwavered rights beyond that of Palestinian people. And therefore, you have Zionists uh, coming uh, from Poland, comes to occupied Palestine and enjoys more rights than the local natives and indigenous people of Palestine, which is totally absurd. But uh, let us uh, look at uh, the manner 
in which uh, ethnic cleansing and this genocide has been meted out. It's been uh, like apartheid South Africa, the utilization of legislation to forcefully remove Palestinians off their land. And you just have to look at the 700,000 and more of Palestinians that experienced the Nakba of 1948 overnight, they were forcefully removed off their land of their birth and the land of their forefathers and had to flee into exile. That is one of the greatest injustices of our time. And yet the world is silent on this issue. And then you have seen over the years how the historic Palestinian map has been reduced to what was 100% to today we're even talking of less than 12%. Now, this is the same mannerism that it was orchestrated here in South Africa, where the 87% of our population was forced into homeland reserves that later became Bantu stands through the notorious Native Land Act of 1913 and the subsequent amendment of that in 1936. And the vast majority of our people overnight became foreigners in the land of their birth and the land of their forefathers. And apartheid Israel continues to do that on a daily basis, whether you look at the West Bank or you look at Gaza. And I want to put it on record today that the West Bank is an identical replica of the former Siskai Bantu stand in South Africa because it was scattered settlements right across the Siskai. And Gaza happens to be the former Transkai Bantu stand, which was a, a portion of land that was fixed with clearly demarcated borders. And this is what we are seeing today that people of Palestine or Palestinians have been confined to Bantu stands that we as South Africans fought against and rejected. If Bantu stands never worked in apartheid South Africa, they will never work in apartheid Israel. And we will fight right to the end to see those Bantu stands broken down and those walls broken down so we can realize one state, one free Palestine. And a referendum is the only means and ways that can restore the dignity of our Palestinian people to realize a one-state solution where they can be able to enjoy equal rights as any other citizen on the land. But we have seen how the forceful removals that we experience in Sophia Town, in Fetus, in uh, District 6, that are continuing on a daily basis uh, to be meted out on Palestinians. The latest uh, uproar that we have uh, witnessed in Sheikh Jarrah, and this is why we as South Africans have been vocal on this matter, because we have experienced it, we have seen it, and we will not be silent when our very own brothers and sisters in Palestine 
are witnessing such an injustice. Foreigners to their land are being given their houses and not just houses with furniture included is what the Palestinian people are being stripped of their dignity to their homes and their uh, land. And in doing so, these settlers are being given uh, homes that didn't belong to them, nor belong to their uh, uh, lineage. Uh, Palestinians have been on this land, not for a generation, two generations, but for generations before them. And to witness these houses being bulldozed, and Silwa now is the next threat where over 1,500 Palestinians are being removed from their homes and their lands. And it is what we witnessed. And as South Africans, we see the similarities of apartheid South Africa being carried out today in their worst form in apartheid Israel. And we will not be silent in this. We will continue to take the just moral stand and be a voice for Palestinian people and fight side by side with them to show the world the clear parallels that we are seeing from our own experience as South Africans. Thank you so much for that answer. From the UN speech in 1990, President Mandela said, quote, it was strange that the victims of a crime against humanity were being told what procedures were proper to rid themselves of that crime. We often see that the oppressor is always trying to dictate the terms of liberation. In the example of the Palestinian struggle, the Zionist narrative routinely outlaws protests or uses violence, often deadly against those who do protest. Take a look at the Gaza Great March of Return, where hundreds of refugees in Gaza were intentionally hit by Israeli snipers, including the Palestinian medic Razan Najjar. Take, for example, all of the cases of nonviolent resistance that you have in the West Bank, which for years have been met by violence on the part of the IOS. The Zionists have also been busy trying to outlaw BDS, boycott, divestment, and sanctions in the United States, Canada, and Europe. They certainly do not accept Palestinian armed resistance, which they refer to as terrorism. Taking the example of what worked in South Africa, how can we move past the idea of allowing the oppressor to frame the narrative for resistance? And how important is armed resistance in the struggle for liberation? The oppressor can never dictate the means to a peaceful transition. And I, I had to witness this uh, myself on my visit to Palestine in uh, 2017, while I had uh, meetings with the Fatah leadership and having uh, uh, met uh, President uh, Abbas and the vice uh, uh, president, I uh, walked out and hardly 10 minutes uh, coming out of the meetings, I received a call from the South African Jewish Board of Deputies, which is a strong Zionist lobby in South Africa, uh, saying to me, Chief, uh, you, we understand you've just uh, visited the Palestinian leadership, but like your grandfather, we're gonna ask of you 
to visit our Israeli leadership. And I was taken aback to this, but I said, well, since you've sponsored the name of my grandfather, President Mander, let me also educate you on his firm stand on our transition to a, a democratically free South Africa. For any means or talks to be held for peace in South Africa, there were three conditions that he called for and needed to be met before any engagements could be held. And that was the unbanning of all political parties in South Africa, the release of all political prisoners in South Africa, and the right of return of all South Africans living in exile to enable them to be able to equally participate in this transition to peace. And I therefore turned around uh, to the South African Jewish Board of Deputies and say, unless your leadership in apartheid Israel is prepared to meet these three conditions, I will not waste my time in meeting any of that leadership. And I think this is the message that we are carrying out to all Palestinians to never be subjected to any discussions as long as apartheid Israel is not prepared to meet these three conditions. We are calling for the immediate release of all political prisoners, uh, uh, Palestinian political prisoners. We are calling for an immediate unbanning of all political parties so that they can have equal participation in the transition for peace. And we are calling for the right of return to be afforded to every Palestinian in the diaspora. You have over 6 million Palestinians living in exile of their country, and we want to witness their right of return before we can even have any talks of a transition to peace. And now you then come to the issue of uh, an armed struggle, which President Mandela was at the center of formation of our very own armed struggle campaign in South Africa, which resulted in being Mkonto Wesizwe and referred to as MK in short. Madiba left the country in January 1962 and visited many African states to go and rally for support for our next level of campaign, which was an armed struggle. It was Emperor Haile Selassie in Ethiopia who advised him to study the model in Egypt and that of Algeria. And out of the two, Haile Selassie said the Egyptian example would be that of a state-led military, which you as South Africans do not have. And the suitable example will that be of the Algerians because they adopted more of a guerrilla arm or militia strategy in fighting the French. Hence, Madiba with Robert Risha went to Algeria and had their military training under General Jamal and Comrade Judy, who was the interpreter, and I had the opportunity 
to first hand in 2018 visit Algeria and meet with Comrade Judy, who told us how Algeria opened their doors to Madiba and gave any form of military assistance in ensuring that we can be able to realize our freedom. And from inception, MK was a means to adopt acts of sabotage where they would look into destroying some of the strategic assets of the states. We could not stomach that any longer because as President Mandela said, we were a defenseless people facing a brutal regime that was killing innocent children and women in our country and therefore had to pick up arms in our defense of our people. It cannot be then that whilst the minority continues in Palestine, killing out innocent women and children and Palestinians at large, then we term Palestinians to be terrorists. We know too well that one terrorist is another man's friend. And President Mandela was declared a terrorist for his uh, fight in the struggle for liberation. And actually the CIA continued to have him listed as a terrorist right throughout his presidency. And his name was removed from the terrorist list in 2003 when he was already retired as a head of state. So it shouldn't be disheartening that we are in our strive for liberation of a free Palestine that we are then referred to being terrorists. We know that too well because our former leaders were labeled as such in our very own struggle for liberation. And we say to the Palestinian people, continue the fight. And we have seen the young people coming out in the streets saying that our wish in this struggle for liberation is to die as martyrs for our struggle for liberation. And that is moving to us as South Africans to see that young people, generations after generation are continuing to pick up the fight. And we will not allow that this process is dictated to by the oppressors. Thank you so much for that. You know, I, I always say that we are fighting for our rights as Palestinians. We, ha we are engaged in a rights-based struggle. Meanwhile, apartheid Israel uses violence in order to maintain the systems and structures of apartheid and settler colonialism. That's what they're fighting for. They're fighting to maintain supremacy as the status quo. And we're fighting to be liberated from that, to be able to enjoy equal rights on our land. And I've always found it so strange how this imperial world, but specifically the Zionists, but the imperial world more broadly, always succeeds in normalizing state violence. So if, because it comes from the army of Israel, it's somehow to, you know official and to be expected and normalized. But at the same time, they offer absolutely no space for the armed resistance of the stateless. And we are only stateless because they have made us stateless. We're only stateless because... The state that was set up on our land expressly excludes us from it. So that's the only reason why we don't have a state. To blame us because we're engaged in armed resistance as a stateless people 
while at the same time, the very state which is continuing to carry out brute colonial violence towards us is, is, is the very state which has deprived us of the possibility to be a part of a state, I think is, is, is really twisted. And we always also have to remember that Palestinians have the right under international law to engage in armed struggle. This was confirmed by the United Nations. There is no debate about this. And Zionists will always try to quickly dismiss any form of resistance by Palestinians as terrorism. And it's simply false. That's just not what the law says. But they don't abide by the law uh, to begin with. So um, unless they, of course, wrote it, and unless it, of course, privileges you know certain people over others. President Mandela never accepted to engage in dialogue without having certain preconditions honored. Because I think that in the Palestinian example, those very preconditions are the ones that we have been told that we must set aside as too aspirational, as too whimsical, as, oh, you're asking for too much to have the refugees come back, the right of return. That's an absurd notion. No, actually, it's our right under international law to be able to go back to our land. And Israel continues to deprive us of that right. But that doesn't mean that it's it's it's, it's crazy and aspirational for us and whimsical to continue to engage in a struggle for that right. Rather, it just means that Israel continues to violate the law. The same with the political prisoners. Israel is currently holding almost 5,000 Palestinians right now as political prisoners, including two of my friends who were young boys, the Bornat brothers from the village of Bil'ain, which I'm sure you know and have, have been to. Not only them, but also several other youth from the village who were picked up in nighttime raids in, in, in May and June 2021, while all of the world's attention was fixated on Gaza, the Israeli occupation forces do what they always do whenever they bomb Gaza. They go carry out nighttime raids in the West Bank because they know that nobody is paying attention. And they've been held since May and there is no news about them. We know that they're being tortured in, in, in Maskubiya, the, the notorious Israeli military prison in Jerusalem where Palestinians are regularly taken to be tortured. And these young boys have been charged with absolutely no crime. They've been denied their uh, access to their parents. They've been denied uh, access to their attorneys. Um, and we know that they are being tortured because one of the brothers has had a, a quick two-minute phone call with an attorney in the weeks that he has now been held and he has confirmed that they are using torture techniques against him to extract a confession for a crime that he did not commit. So this is what Israel is doing and we are told that we have to put aside our aspiration that our political prisoners are released before we come to the negotiating table. Well, what what what's left, right? What's left to negotiate then? Um, and so I think it's so essential that you have given us this this advice and this experience that you you should never negotiate any of your rights and that if your oppressor is not willing to meet certain preconditions for you know establishing a little bit your humanity bringing you back up to a certain level of humanity well then there is absolutely no space for dialogue and that's exactly why we say, you know, people always ask us, well, are you ever going to bring a Zionist on and debate them? You guys could debate a Zionist and totally crush them. I say absolutely not. And Michael says absolutely not, because Palestinian humanity is not up for discussion or debate. We, we don't give space to that kind of ideology. Don't negotiate your rights. And certainly not as a precondition to enter into future negotiations that, you know, whose outcome is absolutely not guaranteed. But unfortunately, that's exactly what the Palestinian leadership has been stuck doing for for many many years you know in the oslo era and post oslo and i think that's why today we're seeing this global uprising that we're seeing that is led by the grassroots palestinians from all across historic palestine and in exile coming together as one and saying we're all palestinian and we're demanding the enforcement of our rights under international law
Lara, uh, thank, thank you uh, for, for that. I mean, uh, we, we've continuously witnessed in uh, apartheid South Africa the imprisonment without trial of uh, our youth, our leaders, and even assassinations. I mean, one of uh, our greatest icons, uh, Solomon Mashang, was killed by the apartheid regime and uh, hanged in prison. And we continue uh, to educate uh, our youth about these atrocities of the past that we must never forget. Even today, 26 years post our democracy, we're still fighting the ills of the past. And therefore we are alive to the daily uh, atrocities that are meted out to Palestinians, children, women, the elderly, and a Palestinian men. We are also seeing the waking up of solidarity movements right across the global community. And it is inspiring to us as South Africans to see that because then it takes us back in time. It takes us into the uh, matches that we saw right across the global community of the anti-apartheid movement. They use uh, to be closer to home and what is uh, moves us as a family, uh, the release Mandela campaign. It not only spoke to President Mandela, but it spoke to all political prisoners. We called for their immediate release. And therefore, uh, when we see these atrocities that are daily meted out against uh, Palestinians, we can relate to that. And this is why we are putting them out in the public domain. The news will not carry out these stories. We will carry them out on behalf of Palestinians. And one of our clear calls has been uh, from our own lessons, you know, every South African living in exile was a voice and an ambassador of our struggle for liberation. And we call on the Palestinians in the diaspora to be the voices and the ambassadors of their own struggle for liberation. Do not go into these countries and assimilate and enjoy the surroundings there. You have a home, you have a land, you have a country of your own, which is Palestine, which we will not rest until we see you liberated and free, enjoying equal rights like any other citizen. We uh, wanted to say, uh, Lara, that uh, uh, in our own experiences, let us uh, not uh, relent in uh, speaking out against uh, uh, apartheid uh, uh, Israel. And I think uh, uh, on, on this one, we must call for the unity, first and foremost, within the Palestinian people at uh, uh, civic uh, uh, associations or civil rights activists, at political parties, both Hamas and Fatah and any other political party in uh, uh, Palestine has to unite. We as South Africans had to set our, uh, our differences at the political party level, whether it be the African National Congress, whether it be the Pan-African Congress, or any other, and regard ourselves as an oppressed people 
facing one common enemy, that being the white supremacists and their brutal apartheid regime. And it was only then when we regarded ourselves as an oppressed nation and united behind the United Democratic Front known as UDF, we were able to rally the masses of our people. And we are therefore making that call to Palestinians to unite as oppressed people of Palestine and fight a common enemy. And your enemy is the Zionist state of apartheid Israel. And we need to ensure that we make a global call to the atrocities that they continue to carry out against a defenseless society. It's not Palestinians that carry arms. It is the brutal state of apartheid Israel that is probably the fourth largest army in the world. And that narrative needs to be put out there so that we can be able to rally the masses. What we've seen in London over the past uh, few weeks has been inspirational. It takes me back in time when I was a youth visiting my mother and Oliver Tambo and Adelaide Tambo in London and seeing a vast majority of uh, people in London coming out into the streets and gathering in front of Travalka Square, in front of South Africa House and speaking out against apartheid South Africa. You did it for us as South Africans and we are making that same call that you liberated South Africa with your support and with you standing side by side with Palestine, we can yet again defeat this brutal apartheid regime of Israel. Keeping on the theme of methods of resistance to apartheid, I want to turn to the importance of direct action. Three weeks ago, South African dock workers refused to offload cargo from an Israeli ship in protest against the latest genocide in Gaza. The same solidarity is also being shown in Oakland, where recently, with the support of unionized longshore workers, Bay Area activists prevented an Israeli cargo ship from unloading. The protest marked the seventh year in a row that Israeli-owned ships have not transferred cargo at the port of Oakland. If we look back in history, we see that anti-apartheid activists in South Africa are the inspiration for the direct action in Oakland, which is now being used to support Palestinian liberation. For example, in 1976, a black longshoreman from Oakland named Leo Robinson took inspiration from a student uprising in Soweto, South Africa, and formed the South African Liberation Support Committee which raised awareness about apartheid among West Coast dock workers. Years later, workers organized strikes in Oakland and San Francisco against South African apartheid. Perhaps the most notable was in 1984, when the committee showed The Last Grave at Dimbaza, a documentary about conditions facing South Africans' Black population. During an ILWU Local 10 meeting, after seeing the film, the union members unanimously voted to refuse to unload South African cargo and staged an 11-day protest that attracted hundreds of supporters. In 1990, 
Shortly after being released from prison, President Mandela delivered a speech at the Oakland Coliseum in front of a crowd of many thousands. During a 10-day tour of the United States, he specifically thanked the ILWU Local 10 for their support. Your grandfather, President Mandela, said, quote, We salute members of the International Longshoremen's and Warehousemen's Union Local 12 who refused to unload a South African cargo ship in 1984. He said, in response to this demonstration, other workers, church people, community activists, and educators gathered each day at the docks to express their solidarity with the dock workers. They established themselves as the front line of the anti-apartheid movement in the Bay Area. Oakland is, of course, home to the Black Panther Party, founded in October 1966 by Huey P. Newton and Bobby Seale, who were long-standing allies to the Palestinian struggle for liberation. I'm wondering if you can elaborate on the importance of direct action to liberation struggles. Thank you, uh, Michael, uh, for touching uh, on um, what was uh, truly uh, exemplary from our Deben uh, dock workers. We saluted them as uh, South African activists for refusing to offload an Israeli ship. And we made a call on all our dock workers in South Africa to follow suit, uh, mainly because uh, this will prevent any Israeli settlement uh, uh, products from coming to our shores, whether by sea freight or by air freight. And this is why we have made a call on our government, in particular, the Department of Transport. We have said to the Honorable Minister, he should cancel the air traffic rights that we are affording, LR, which is a national carrier of the apartheid Israel, which comes to our shores on a weekly basis. We want to stop and prevent them from coming to our shores because uh, through their freighters, they continue to bring uh, 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 Israeli products into our country. And therefore, uh, the dock workers in Deben have enabled us to make a call on the South African Transport and Allied a workers' union, well known as Satau, to lead this front of struggle and ensure that no goods are handled by land, sea, or air in our country from apartheid Israeli settlements. These dock workers follow on the footsteps of many dock workers we've seen in our support for our struggle for liberation, which include Nigeria, Ghana, Somali, the United Kingdom, Trinidad, and Tobago, and also the USA. You've mentioned, Michael, uh, San Francisco Bay's role uh, in uh, uh, refusing uh, to handle any uh, ships uh, coming uh, to the Bay Area but also in Sydney, Australia, uh, they were able to likewise refuse to handle any uh, South African goods coming on their shores. 
We have therefore, uh, as activists on the ground, made a call to all unions and shop workers all over uh, the world to refuse to handle any Israeli produce. And this takes me back to memory lane because my very own mother, Nolusapo Rose Rainey Mandela, used to be in uh, living in Leighton Buzzard in uh, the mid-80s, a, a small town outside London. And she would every day without fail go to the shops and go into the supermarkets and identify all uh, uh, products coming from apartheid South Africa. And she would be able to educate the shoppers to desist from buying any products from uh, apartheid South Africa. But one of uh, the inspiring young people to us was none either than a 21-year-old Mary Manning uh, from uh, Dublin, who used to work at the dance store and refused to handle any South African uh, products uh, that were being sold at dance. That culminated in a three-year-long boycott action that led to the Irish government eventually adopting a ban on the importation of South African goods. We therefore want to applaud the uh, Irish people and Ireland for their strong stance they continue to carry out today in support of the Palestinian people and uh, for ensuring that uh, they continue the fight to realize a free Palestine. We then utilize these uh, moments, uh, Michael, to call on all unions, NGOs, as well as CBOs to intensify the boycott, divestment, and sanctions campaign. We must put pressure in particularly on our own governments right across the global community to cut all diplomatic trade as well as cultural ties with apartheid Israel. This leads us right into our next question. I want to turn to boycott, divestment, and sanctions. In a 2018 article where you explored the parallels between uh, Israeli and South African apartheid, you wrote that South Africans also know that effective resistance to apartheid requires international solidarity and that just as allies around the world were vital in our struggle for freedom, the spirit of internationalism lives on in the nonviolent boycott, divestment, and sanctions movement supporting the Palestinian liberation struggle. Since 2005, Palestinian civil society has put out the call for BDS as a way to build worldwide resistance movement to Israeli apartheid and occupation, inspired very expressly by the boycott movement that helped end apartheid in South Africa. Uh, you've also said in a 2019 speech at the Palestine Expo that the battle for liberation must be waged on multiple fronts. You named cultural, academic, trade, political, diplomatic, sports, communication, and most of all, the battle of the hearts and perception. So can you elaborate on the different modes of resistance and give us your view on how boycott fits into the larger picture of resistance more generally? Thank you, Lara. I think uh, BDS uh, right now uh, is the biggest thorn uh, uh, as far as 
uh, apartheid Israel is concerned. And I think uh, for us uh, and activists uh, right across the globe, uh, our focus has been at that level because then it unites all Palestinians right across political lines, right across religious groups, right across uh, anywhere conformations to say that we have a common enemy, that being the Zionist uh, apartheid regime, uh, Israel. And we need to ensure that at all fronts and at all levels, we have a common strategy in fighting uh, for the realization of a free Palestine. And I think uh, 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 this uh, notion, uh, you want to then open it up in its entirety. And one thing that is uh, very close to heart to me has always been young people and uh, the role uh, children in Palestine uh, are, are playing. And uh, I'm edu- uh, already educating my three-year-old twins as well as my four-year-old son in uh, being able just to formulate the sentence, free, free Palestine, because that is rooted in what we want to instill in the next generation of leaders, uh, not only in Palestine, but right through our uh, global community. And therefore, uh, uh, young people, at all levels, whether it be at the primary school level, whether it be at the high school level or in colleges and universities, need to be vocal on this issue. In student formations, this needs to be placed on their agenda to speak on behalf of oppressed nations in Palestine and across the global community. Young people must be a voice of change. Uh, they, they need to uh, fight the demons that we continue to face on a daily basis throughout uh, uh, the globe. But also we uh, want to reach out to workers uh, right across uh, 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 the global community to take up the fight for a free Palestine. And uh, uh, Palestinians themselves have a role to ensure how we are able to identify the products that are coming from Israeli settlements and going out to our countries. Because one of the greatest challenges for us in educating our people is to, what are these products we must desist from buying? And uh, uh, by my wife, Koska Zinosegedi, Rabia Mandela, continues to sit uh, with us as a family and say, no, 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 you cannot buy this product because its origins go far back to Israeli settlements and we cannot as a family be seen to be supporting uh, uh, any products coming from uh, apartheid Israeli settlements. Uh, We also know that uh, apartheid Israel is not only just invested in its settlements, but it's in investing in the international community. One of our pride and joys, uh, uh, Clover, as a company used to be one of our thriving companies. It has now been bought by Melco, which is an Israeli company. And we are saying to our workers, they should have not even allowed such a transaction to occur. But now that we are facing this, 
We're saying to South Africans to desist from buying any clover products. And some of the stores like Spa here in Cape Town has totally removed any uh, uh, clover products from its shelves. And we uh, uh, are calling on the rest of uh, uh, companies in South Africa that do business with uh, uh, clover to uh, cut ties with clover. We then also look at uh, this um, uh, diplomatic ties. You know, often uh, you will find a Israeli Kesnet delegation going into African countries, and we as South Africa witnessed this uh, 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 delegation in, uh, I think, 2018, came to our shores. And uh, immediately when we learned of this, we called on uh, our uh, international relations uh, ministry to refuse them visas to come into our country. But again, once we learned that they had been granted visas, we uh, uh, made a call on home affairs to not allow them in our shores. But yet again, uh, we never uh, uh, had uh, much uh, uh, pleasure in that. But uh, the delegation was set on coming to our uh, parliament of the Republic of South Africa. And when uh, we had this and being a member of parliament, we were uh, quickly able to write to the speaker of parliament, then uh, Balegambete, who was able to immediately act and said that such a delegation is not allowed in our parliament precinct and will not be afforded any meetings with the members of parliament. So uh, we do need to mobilize also uh, MPs for Palestine globally to support uh, uh, the Palestinian struggle and ensure that, uh, and I always share this message within the SADC region and the African continent that we have experienced colonialism and experienced uh, brutal oppressive regimes that uh, 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 meted out atrocities against our people and fought for our struggle for liberation with Ghana being uh, the first liberated uh, state in Africa and then the rest followed uh, into the late 50s into uh, the late 60s. And having experienced that, we need to align ourselves at the international solidarity movement to support uh, the struggle uh, for a free Palestine. But uh, uh, it really requires us to look at every facet, uh, whether it be youth, uh, women, and children. And uh, today, you look at one of the biggest protests we've been uh, seeing is uh, the gender-based violence. Right throughout the globe, there's protests against uh, GBV. Yet, Palestinian women are exposed to the worst brutality and atrocities, yet women uh, solidarity groups are silent on this issue. And this is why we are beginning to make that call to say that you have to, as women groups, see the brutality that is being meted out against defenseless Palestinian women and be able to carry that fight through. Also, 
in terms of children rights groups need to be vocal on the rights of children that are being eroded. I mean, to see young children in Palestine being arrested and guns pointed off, uh, at them has been appalling and totally shocking to us. And we want to call on uh, children activists to speak out uh, and be the voice of these children lingering in apartheid Israeli jails. And therefore, uh, this then will enable us to uh, realize the end goal of cutting all diplomatic ties, all trade ties, and all cultural ties with apartheid Israel. And I think uh, the instrumental entities that we must focus on is our governments to exert pressure on our government, and we unshamely tell our president, His Excellency, President Cyril Ramaphosa, that you are not doing enough, sir. We as South Africans have to be playing a leading role in realizing Madiba's goal. And we have called on our government to immediately shut down the embassy in Tel Aviv. And if we are to have any representation or embassy in the region, it should be that of our embassy in Ramallah, because that is the only embassy South Africans want to see being supported. And we have made a call to our government to immediately expel the Israeli ambassador to South Africa. And South Africans right throughout political party lines, and we have seen of late, Lara and Michael, political parties as uh, from the majority party being the ANC, the Economic Freedom uh, Fighters, uh, the National Freedom Party, NFP, uh, the United Democratic Movement, UDM. Uh, we have also seen Al Jama Good coming together and saying this is not a political issue. This is a, a South African issue. It cannot just be in words, because as President Mandela says to us that Palestinians supported us right to the heat, not in words, but in resources, in capital and in uh, military training and with military equipment to fight the brutal apartheid regime of South Africa. And this is our time to ensure that we become the leading voice where it comes to uh, the Palestinian struggle. Keeping on the same topic, pressure has been mounting on South African president to cut all ties with Israel following the latest genocide in Gaza. Speaking to France 24, the South African president said, quote, this for us is very close to our own suffering. He condemned the occupation, but as you mentioned, he didn't take any action to cut ties, expel ambassadors, or pursue sanctions. Why do you think that is? And what can we do to help you continue to put pressure on him to cut ties with the Israeli apartheid regime? Michael, it's a simple answer. The Zionist lobby in South Africa is strong. And we believe uh, some of our political e leaders 
might be compromised. And we therefore continuing to be vocal and exerting pressure. I mean, if you can have the Deputy Secretary General of the African National Congress, that being Comrade Jesse Duart, leading a march and protest in front of uh, the Israeli embassy and calling on uh, the expulsion of the Israeli ambassador to South Africa. She is one of the top six in the African National Congress and therefore one of uh, our leading figures. If she can make that call, and government is resisting in its implementation, clearly shows you that uh, we have been compromised at a a certain level, and we have to look within, as the African National Congress, the support that was afforded to us, exposing uh, uh, these challenges that we are having. And we do hope that uh, uh, South Africans Uh, do not get worn out, do not tire, and will continue at all levels exerting pressure on our government to do right. Nikosi, are you okay if we go for 15 more minutes? Clara, for for Palestinians, please uh, go ahead. We will afford you an extra 15 minutes. Thank you. Let's just exhaust our discussions because we are committed uh, uh, to uh, uh, realizing a free Palestine. So please. Thank you very uh, much. Sometimes Jewish Israelis cannot imagine anything beyond the status quo, anything beyond this, you know, tiered system of rights. And they fear very much an end to the apartheid regime. And they see that as an end to themselves, right? Uh, to that, I would, of course, say if your identity is so intimately tied up in white supremacy, you might want to reevaluate your values. But also take a look at the South African example. An end to apartheid did not mean an end to white South Africans. It just meant that they could not have more rights than black South Africans, which were the majority of the people on the same land. And so, you know, if you have a problem with equality and democracy, then that says more about you than the legitimacy of our struggle. But the question I have for you is, how can we get Jewish Israelis to see, you know, drawing from the South African example, that a system that upholds their supremacy is a system which is fundamentally flawed, and that Palestinian liberation is also about freeing Jewish Israelis from being oppressors? Lara, I touched a bit on this, but let me be explicit on this. Uh, uh, Jews and Judaism need to learn about what uh, uh, Judaism is and at all levels we are calling on Jews right across the globe to be vocal on this issue that the Zionist state of Israel doesn't represent anything that has to do with uh, uh, Jewish people and Judaism. It is a brutal, oppressive regime that is continuously uh, carrying out atrocities against a defenseless Palestinian people. And that distinction must be made explicitly. And the Jews in Israel need to look within. Uh, You can't perpetuate a system that is of a, a, a minority supremacy. Madiba was very clear 
that prisoners cannot negotiate. Only free men negotiate. And therefore, we are calling on the Jewish community and in particularly Jews in Israel to look within and be able to join uh, uh, the ranks uh, for a democratically free society. And this is all that we are calling for, equal rights for all and one state for all. And they should not fear uh, them being a minority because even in today, white South Africans continue to be the minority and have their rights enshrined and protected in our Bill of Rights. The uh, rights of minorities need to be protected. And with the overwhelming majority of Palestinians in the diaspora allowed the right of return, the secular colonialist will become a minority and will be afforded equal rights as any citizen in one free state yes. of Palestine. Absolutely. It's so key. Palestinians don't think in terms of ethnic cleansing and expulsion and removing people. We just want our rights. It's that simple. Whenever they say to us, you know, oh, you want to wipe Israel off the map, it's it's clearly, a, um, uh, you know, some sort of projection that they're engaging in, because that's what they already did to us. Since 1948, they've been wiping Palestine off the map, and Palestine barely exists. Always emphasize, we're in a rights-based struggle. We are demanding our rights that exist under international law. They are not imagined rights. They exist. They are there. And Israel is continuing to violate those rights. And so when we imagine a liberated Palestine. We don't imagine making anybody leave. We just imagine being able to go back to our land. And it's exactly everything you've said. It's it's about equal rights. It's about one democratic state for everybody, where everybody can have equal protection under the law, where there are no more laws that say, well, you can have more rights if you're Jewish than if you're Palestinian. I think when you study the history of South Africa, you see this radical transformation take place. You see a new constitution, power sharing, and then democratic elections, and eventually the Truth and Reconciliation Committee. It seems like we're really far from this in Israel, a country which in 2018 passed the nation state law, which affirmed that only Jewish people have the right of self-determination on land where Palestinians have been native for thousands of years. And similarly, the recent confirmation of the genocidal American settler and Nekba denier Naftali Bennett as the new prime minister certainly does not help inspire confidence. Michael and I always say we feel like we're close to liberation, but on the other hand, when you know when I started to look back again at the South African example, and I said, "Wow, you know, you went through so many steps that we we were were kind of far from today." So, looking at the South African example, I mean, how far do you feel we are from liberation? Lara, um, it is uh, perhaps one of uh, uh, our challenges uh, that we continue to look into and analyze and assess as to how far we are. And uh, perhaps I would uh, draw uh, to uh, what was the final push for us uh, as South Africans, uh, uh, perhaps uh, because we are on the eve of uh, uh, June 16, uh, where we saw in Soweto in 1976, an uprising of young people uh, denouncing Africans as a medium of instruction. Uh, and therefore, 
saw an overwhelming majority of young people join the armed struggle and join uh, uh, the protest for uh, realizing our uh, liberation. Uh, it was uh, uh, Madiba's call in uh, the mid 80s when uh, he said to our young people to render the country ungovernable. And that became the final push and the apartheid regime of South Africa realized that uh, in their time, in their tenure, they will be held accountable for the atrocities and the uh, bloodshed that would be lost uh, uh, going forward. And I think uh, this is where we are today uh, with the genocide that we have witnessed on uh, uh, the killings of innocent women and children and elderly in Gaza over the past uh, month. And uh, it has begun uh, to turn the tide. You are seeing a global movement rallying in support of uh, uh, the Palestinian uh, struggle uh, for liberation. And uh, we should utilize that moment and that opportunity to ensure that uh, we do not relent in our efforts and we are calling on the rest of the global community to ensure that we keep that momentum and we exert pressure on our governments. Like South Africa looked onto uh, the world to put sanctions on apartheid South Africa and to boycott all uh, products coming from South Africa. They even went as far as boycotting any sporting relations with apartheid South Africa. South Africa wasn't allowed to participate in the Olympics or enjoy any sporting uh, support at a global level. And therefore, this is where we ought to exert pressure on our governments to act and do right and ensure uh, that uh, we fight for human rights and equal rights for all in Palestine. And I think uh, uh, our uh, time uh, will be shortened in realizing a free Palestine in our uh, lifetime when we all unite and see a global swell in support of the Palestinian struggle as we are beginning to witness. And I think we thank the international community for rising and taking a stand and Kosi Mandela, thank you so, so much for coming on the Palestine pod. We so appreciate your time. We have the utmost respect for your family's legacy. And we are so heartened to know that the Royal House of Mandela still stands with Palestine. Thank you, Michael. Thank you, uh, Lara. It has been uh, truly great uh, uh, speaking with you this afternoon. And uh, we assure you that as a family, we will always be available in the work that we do and in the, the work that you are continuously championing. We want to ensure that we mobilize for the Palestinian people. So please continue to be our source of inspiration, uh, to be our source of uh, information 
so that we can continue to educate our people. So I truly want to thank you both for having afforded us this opportunity to engage and to share uh, our thinking as to how best we can be able to support the Palestinian people. And we will not rest until Palestine is free from the river to the sea. I don't have any words left. That was so inspirational. And as a Palestinian, as as a Palestinian refugee, as somebody who grew up in exile, not because I chose it, but because it was imposed on me. I have the utmost respect for the Mandela family, for the work of President Mandela, for, for your work and for the work of everybody really in South Africa that upholds and, and always puts Palestinians first and expresses their deep solidarity to us. It's it's very mutual. And, and I just extend my solidarity as a Palestinian back to you. Thank you. He was talking about the importance of BDS and me personally, I've given up my allergy medicine, so I will just be sneezing from now on. Wait, seriously? You don't uh, have like another one? Yeah. <laughs> Are you kidding? There's like... No, I'm, that's, that's, that is a joke, but it's also true. Um, yeah, but you, and, there's like a million companies that make allergy okay, medicine. Fam, fam, you're, you're reading too much into the joke. Okay. I will also be boycotting all major TV stations. Okay. So if you have not seen my comedy on TV, that is why. Um, <laughs> okay. That is the only reason why <laughs> okay. I have not been on TV.